Thank you very much. Morning. It's nearly Christmas. Is everybody ready? No? Yes. We're in that kind of frantic week before Christmas in the, the run-up to it where you've got, so everyone has a list. Yesterday, um, my wife and I wrote lists of lists that we needed to make, of present lists, gift lists, food shopping lists. So we have a list of all the lists that we need to make in the coming week. So it's all good. And um, We put the tree up yesterday. It's very good. Um, Rhi and I have very different approaches to how we deal with Christmas trees. Um, Rhi will look at a room, historically, and, uh, and think, what is a sensible size tree to put in this space? Where can I move the furniture so that we can still get around everything? I will look at a room and think, what's the largest tree I can fit into this room? Um, we came to a bit of a compromise this year. We've moved into a new house, and uh, we discovered that in the new house, in the garden, which we didn't realize until we moved in, there were two Christmas trees planted in the garden. So we've actually managed to save some money and chop them down and bring them indoors ourselves, um, which uh, was quite an experience because I thought, no problem, that'll be fine. Allocated about half an hour to chop those trees down. Two hours later, and a broken spade. Um, it didn't go particularly well, but they are indoors. Um, they're covered in leaves and all sorts of things from, from outside. But, uh, but it's good. It's great. We've got two trees now uh, instead of one giant one. I'm going for the giant one next year. Just pre-warning. It's all good. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're nearly ready. Um, but it's actually what, it's one of the memories that I have as a child is going with my dad to cut down a Christmas tree. I can't remember how old I was. I may have been about 10, 11, but we went to this place where you can cut your own Christmas tree. You know these places where you pay more to do the work for somebody else? Um, a bit like picking strawberries in the summer, that, that sort of thing. Um, it's all a bit bizarre, but it was a nice moment. It was kind of a father-son bonding thing, and we took an axe and had a go, and it took a lot longer than we anticipated um, as well. But um, we're talking about Everlasting Father this morning, and we're going off this verse from Isaiah, um, Isaiah 9, 6. Um, that says this, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the last couple of weeks, we've talked about those first two, the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. This morning, it's Everlasting Father. And it's interesting because everybody in this room will have a slightly different concept of what that means. Everyone will have a slightly different concept of what it is to be a father or to have a father. Not all of us are fathers, but, but all of us have had a father of some sort. Now, your relationship with your father may have been good, may have been bad, may have been non-existent. But what we have a tendency to do is when we think about God as our everlasting father is we tend to um, interpret him as father and who he is as a father through the lens of whatever our worldly experiences. And it's important to say now, I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time talking about earthly fathers and our relationship with those fathers, um, but we do tend to have that filter almost when we think about God as our everlasting father. We tend to project our own experience onto God. But this morning, I want to start by saying I believe that whatever your experience has been of what a father is or what a father was, God is able to rewrite your understanding of not only what a, what a father should be, but also who the father is. So allow God to rewrite your understanding this morning. One of the most famous passages in Proverbs uh, is Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. This morning, don't lean on your own understanding. Whatever that understanding is, whatever that history has been, don't lean on that. Trust in him. Romans 12, 2 
says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Don't conform to what you already know this morning. Start with a blank slate. Allow God to rewrite your understanding of who he is and what a father is this morning. And we're going to look at three things um, that I believe the father, the father, gives to us. There are also things that I think an earthly father should be um, and should give to us, but not everybody has had that same experience. So whatever that experience has been, God can rewrite your understanding of it. I love swimming, um, and I love specifically at the moment taking my boys swimming. I don't have much time for solo swimming, um, but I tend to, to take, take the boys swimming. We've got three boys, um, and uh, I have um, lots of great experiences with them. It's, it's very fun. It's energetic. They're excited. They love it, and they tend to fall asleep in the car on the way home. So it's a bit of a win-win. Um, they get some time to completely go nuts, and I get some time to myself to think. So it's all good. Um, But I've had a few kind of traumatic experiences swimming, one of them as a father and one of them with my father. Um, The one as a father, I um, took our son Gideon, who at the time was about two and a half, three, um, to Splash Landings. Now, Splash Landings is a part of Alton Towers. It's within the hotel itself. And if you've never been to Splash Landings, have no concept of what it is. Imagine a ridiculous number of different swimming pools, huge amounts of spraying water, all kind of framed in the background or or in the context of slightly organized chaos. That's what Splash Landings is. Um, If you have older children, you will walk in and lose them immediately. That's the the kind of environment that that we're looking at. But they, they they have two different types of pools at Splash Landings. They have pools where you kind of slope down into them, nice and gentle, like a beach. You kind of walk into the water, and it's all nice and gradual, and you slowly, slowly gets deeper, which is brilliant for younger children. You also have pools, which are kind of like the edge of this stage, where it just kind of drops off into the water. But it looks like it carries straight on, because the water is at the same level as, as the top. Now, as an adult, I know the difference. What I didn't realize was that my son didn't. And at two and a half, he's toddling along behind me, we come to one of these pools, and I stepped off the edge and turned around to pick him up, and he wasn't there. And I had a momentary, hmm, that's funny, where's he gone? Looked down to my left to see him kind of under the water, unable to swim, in my amazing parenthood skills, hadn't put armbands on him. I did subsequently, but, uh, but there we go. Um, but he hadn't realized he couldn't just walk into this one and just walk straight off the edge and drop down into it. The lifeguard further down the pool nearly had a heart attack. It was slightly concerning. So I picked him up. You know, we coughed out. We coughed up a bit of water. It was fine. It's all good. It's character building. Um, <laughs> but I had one of those kind of moments that uh, my dad used to refer to as character building uh, with me. But you, you, you hear people talk about epic parenting fails. Um, it, was, it was one of those moments. But you learn from your experience very much. Um, So I've only done it a couple of times since, so it's all good. Um, (laughs) But that was one of my traumatic experiences, traumatic experiences as a father. The other traumatic experience I had was, I think, when I was about nine, when I went swimming with my dad, um, and a very traditional swimming pool, just basically a pool of water, no sprays, nothing, it was great. Um, But we we had a nice time, got out of the swimming pool, I spent a bit longer in the shower than he did, he went into the the, uh, the change room. It's important to know, at the time, I was very short-sighted. 
and obviously wasn't wearing glasses. So I did the classic thing of following my dad into the swimming pool, into the changing rooms, walked up to him, started talking, having a conversation, looked up and realized that the naked man standing next to me was not my father. <laughs> now, <laughs> there are few moments that will inspire more panic or more insecurity than realizing that the naked man standing next to you is not who you thought it was. And sometimes we have those moments in life where we, we decide or we find out or we figure out that the, the person that we think we're with isn't actually the person that we thought they were. Or we realize that we're not perfect or that they're not perfect. You know, I'm not a perfect father. I never claim to be. Um, my dad is not a perfect father. I don't know of any perfect fathers. Are there any in this room? No? Good. That's, uh, you're in good company then. So there's no, there's no such thing as a perfect father. And sometimes it's as simple as realizing that the person that you think is perfect isn't perfect. We get that in relationships. Early stages of relationships, they're perfect. And then gradually you realize that they're not quite as perfect. And you have to make a choice. You choose to either commit or you run away. And sometimes we get that um, with fathers as well. As you realize that you, your father isn't the, the perfect father or that they're not actually the person that you thought they were. And you have to make a choice. And it's the same with God, really, except that God is the perfect father. But he's not always the perfect father that you think he is. He's not always the way that you think he is. Sometimes he is unexpected. Sometimes he does things differently to how you anticipate them. Now, that doesn't mean that he will let you down, but it does mean that he might do things slightly differently than you expect. And then you anticipate. And you have a choice of whether to run away from God or to commit to God. And you can run away from God. You'll never really escape him. But you can try. Or you can really commit to who he is. Um, and sometimes we lose our feeling of safety and security. But remember that God can rewrite your understanding of who he is. Because the first thing I believe about God as the everlasting Father is that in him we can find our security. That he's reliable, he is consistent, he is always there. We talk about everlasting Father. What I interpret that to be is that God is everything that a father should be. In all perfection, but everlasting. Whether some people's experience of a father is that they are not there or that they leave, God will never leave you. It's based in relationship. Matthew 6, 9, Jesus talks about how to interact with the Father. He talks about how to pray. He teaches his disciples how to pray. But Matthew 6, 9 is the first part of what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And it says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's where it starts. Every interaction that you have with God starts with recognition of relationship. That it's a relationship with a father, father to a child. That is how we should interact with God. It's a foundation. The Bible talks about it as being built on a rock. You build your life on the rock, which is Jesus, Jesus' words, and on the Father. And also, it talks about God in many different ways, in many different places, as the safe place, as the sanctuary, as a strong tower, as the rock in whom I put my trust. That is what the Bible talks about when it talks about God the Father. Deuteronomy 31.8 is just one example of several times within the Bible where it says something along these lines. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. 
allow God to rewrite your understanding of who he is this morning. And this is what Jesus came to be as well, our safety and our security. John 14, 9 is the end of a conversation that Jesus has with some of his disciples. And he has a conversation with a guy called Philip. And Philip comes to him and essentially says something along the lines of, Jesus, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. You know, we, you, you, you've come, and that's great, and you're doing all these miracles, and you're doing all this stuff, and that's brilliant. But show us the Father, and that, then we'll get it. Then we'll know. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Because sometimes we forget that the son that was given to us, the child that was born to us, is the representation of the Father. Do you ever read that verse, that Isaiah 6, 9, and think, well, because we talk about the child that is, that is given to us, the son that is born unto us, is the everlasting Father. The son is the Father. It's a weird thing. But Jesus is the representation of the Father. He demonstrates the heart of the Father, that we can find our security in him. First thing, find your security in the Father. Second thing that I believe that we can do is we can find our identity in the Father. As people, we like to label things. We like to categorize things. We like to label people. We like to put people in boxes. Um, that's what happens quite a lot. I know that I've been put in boxes several times during my life, sometimes by myself, um, sometimes by other people. Um, and I found it really interesting last week. Um, ben preached on Mighty God, and he, and he talked about some of the nicknames that he'd been given. Um, ben Goran Eriksson was one of the ones that kind of um, lent it to itself, but I think it was, they just called you Sven, wasn't it? Yeah. So there's, there's some nicknames that go around, Benji, Benjamin, etc. And... I have had nicknames over the course of my life, and I'd planned to do this prior to Ben actually doing his preach. Um, but what I did, and, and I did this about a year ago, in fact, um, I compiled a list of all of the things that I have been called over the course of my life. Now, I'm going to read to you a censored version <laughs> of that list, because many of you will know that there are things that people call you um, that are nice, and there are things that people call you that are derogatory, and there are things that people call you that are just downright unrepeatable. So I've omitted the downright unrepeatable ones. Um, but this is a list of things that I've been known as over the course of my life. Right? I've been a baby. I've been a boy. I've been a child. I've been called Pickle. You can thank my grandmother for that. Um, along the similar sorts of lines, thank you, Dad, I've been called a hobbit. That was uh, when I was significantly shorter. Along those same lines, he also used to know me as Bilbo, uh, Bilbo Baggins. Um, frequently referred to me as Andrew Timothy Bilbo Baggins Davis in its entirety. Not when I was in trouble. That's fine. Um, I've been Tim, Timothy, Timmy, Timmy, Timote, Timberlina, for which you can thank the first office Christmas party I ever went to dressed as a fairy. First and only office Christmas party I've ever been to dressed as a fairy, um, but there we go. Um, I've been a teenager, I've been an adolescent, a pupil, a student, a sixth former. I've been called Albert for reasons that I've never really understood. That was at school. I still don't really understand why that is. Um, I've been a young person, a youth, a lad, a son, a grandson, a brother, a cousin, a nephew, a friend, an enemy, 
a victim, a bully, a paperboy, a worker, a laborer, a gardener. I've been a team leader, an advisor, an assistant, a call taker, a trainee, a paramedic, a mentor, teacher, lecturer, youth leader, man, father, husband, boyfriend, fiance, not necessarily in that order. I've been an usher, a best man, a groom, a stag. I've been a helper, a carer, a clinician, a partner, an investor, a homeowner, a learner, a driver, a tenant, a trainer, a mate, a volunteer. I've been a member. I've been a staff member. I've been a club member. I've been a team member. I've been an employee and a customer. I've been a client, a resident, a visitor, a passenger, a sailor, a scout, a human, a singer, musician, foreigner, local, outsider, owner, tenant, skeptic, heathen, Christian, believer. I've been a learner and a driver and a learner driver. And what's fascinating about all of these things, that's just where I stopped. I probably could have gone on. But what's fascinating about all of these things is that all of these things have technically been true at some point over the course of my life. But all of these things put together don't even come close to to summing up the complexity of who I am and everything that I'm called to be in God. And that is true of you as well. Whatever you've been known as, whatever you've been called, whatever your descriptions have been, or the context in which people have known you has been, they don't come close to actually truly describing who you are in all of your wonder, in all of your complexity, in all of the depths of who you are. And some of you believe that, and some of you don't. And that's a journey that you're going to have to go on. And it's a journey that Jesus wants to be a part of. And it's a journey that Jesus wants to rewrite. Remember, the Father can rewrite your experience of who he is. And he can rewrite your experience of who you are as well. No matter what the labels have been placed on you, he can rewrite your understanding of who you are. Because people like to make assumptions about you based on the label that they've given you. Or sometimes the label that you've given yourself or the way that you've introduced yourself. People will make assumptions based on that or where they think you're from, or what they think you are. And Jesus had that as well. I mean, when we think about Jesus, have you ever thought about the fatherhood issues that Jesus must have had? Um, And in terms of the fatherhood issues that Jesus still has to this point, can you imagine over 2,000 years after you were born, people still debating who your dad is? Jeremy Carl would have a field day. But people were still debating who Jesus' dad is. Was it Joseph? Was it somebody else? Was it, was it God? We still have this kind of ongoing debate. And in the Bible that happened as well. John 6, verse 35 to 42. Jesus makes a statement about what, who he is and what he is there to do. And he says this. He says, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still don't believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up. At the last day. What an amazing statement of this is who I am and this is what I'm here to do. I am here 
to raise you up, to never lose you, to, to bring you out of where you have been and bring you back into relationship with the Father. And I'm doing that because I have come from the Father. I've come from God. But people's reaction was not what you might expect, or maybe it is what you might expect. The Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say that I am the bread that I came down from heaven? In other words, we know who you are, Jesus. We know where you came from. We know who your dad is. We know what you do. They thought they knew who he was, but their understanding was wrong, and they'd missed what he was trying to do. They'd missed the point. Luke 4, Jesus does it again. He makes this amazing statement. He says this, he's quoting the prophet Isaiah, so the same prophet that we talked about in terms of, for unto us a child is born. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's reading in the synagogue to a load of people. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendants, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. To which the answer is, no. No, it isn't. But you think it is. They'd missed the point. They had a concept, an idea of who Jesus was and where he'd come from. And they made an assumption based on it. What they didn't realize was that God was rewriting their understanding of who he was. Jesus came to rewrite the world's understanding of who God was. He's in the synagogue. They thought they knew who God was. They thought they knew how to interact with him. They thought they knew how you get to heaven. But Jesus came to rewrite their understanding of who, they, of who God is. In John 8, 19, a group of people come to Jesus and he has a conversation with them and they, they get to the end of the conversation and he's talking about the Father. And they ask him, where is your father? And Jesus makes this statement. He says, you don't know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. They thought they knew the father, but they'd missed it. God was rewriting their understanding of who he was. That the child that was born to us, the son that was given to us, was the everlasting father in human form. Come to earth to demonstrate who God is, to rewrite their understanding of who God is, to demonstrate that God is different than how you have ever imagined him to be, that God is far more personal, far more tangible, far more interested in relationship than you have ever thought possible, that he'd come to save the lost, but the lost didn't even realize that they were lost. How many people, when you look around the world, don't actually realize that they're lost? Don't realize that they're missing out on a relationship with the Father? Don't realize that they're missing out on a relationship with Jesus? Jesus came to demonstrate who God is and to rewrite their understanding of who the Father could be everlasting in us. So find your security in the Father. He is there for you. 
day in, day out, all the time. Whether it feels like it or not, he's there. Find your identity in the Father. And the last one that we're going to talk about is find your purpose in the Father. What is it that defines you? What is it that defines your life or defines who you are? For a lot of us, um, the the classic introduction to a conversation is, um, hello, hello, um, I'm Tim. What's your name? Yeah, Steve. Great. What do you do? I've asked that question so many times, and I've answered that question so many times. And sometimes it's that that defines who you are. It's what you do for a living. It's what you do for a job. Sometimes it's a label that's been placed on you by somebody else. Sometimes it's a label that you've adopted yourself. Um, Genesis 35 tells a story. Um, and there's actually a few chapters talking about this particular family. Gen- In fact, there's, there's quite, a, quite a lot of chapters talking about this particular family. Um, Genesis 35 tells a story of um, Jacob, or Israel, as he is also known within, within the Bible, and his wife Rachel. And they have, or Jacob has, 12 sons. You will know 12 sons. You'll know some of them. You know Joseph of Technicolor Dreamcoat fame. Um, Rachel was Joseph's mum, but she has a second child. And in the second child, she dies in childbirth. And you get this verse, verse 16 to 18. They're on the road. They're traveling. It says, when they moved on from Bethel, while they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. I know many people who are giving birth will think that they have great difficulty a lot of the time. Um, Rachel had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, don't despair, you've got another son. But as she breathed her last, as she was dying, she named her son Benoni. But his father named him Benjamin. Benoni means son of my sorrow or child of my trouble. She named her son child of my trouble. But the father named him Benjamin, son of my right hand. There was an attempt to define this child's life based on the circumstances that he was born in, based on the trouble that was experienced by somebody else, based on somebody else's agenda. But the father rewrote his purpose said, hold on, I'm not having his life defined by the trouble that he's experienced, defined by circumstances beyond his control, defined by the situation that he found himself in. I'm not having that label put on him. I am going to call him Benjamin, son of my right hand. Right hand is about authority, son of my authority. Out of my authority, I'm going to change the way that this child lives his life. I'm going to change the purpose of his life. God wants to rewrite the meaning of your life. The father is able to rewrite the meaning of the child's life. It's whether you choose to let him. Can I encourage you to allow God to relabel you? You may not think that there's a problem with your label, and actually there may not be. But often God has more. God wants to change the way that you think about yourself. Because he may have got you to a point, but there is so much more that God has for you. If you feel you are down and cut down low and you're living under the labels that other people have placed on you, you can allow God to rewrite that label. But if you feel that you've got to a certain point and you just think, there's got to be more. There's got to be more than this. Come on, God. There's got to be more. 
I look at your word and there are promises in it. There are promises. You said, your word says that you have a plan for me. A plan not, not just to exist, not just to just manage, but to prosper. Allow God to rewrite the label that has been placed on you. No matter what happened in your family, no matter what the circumstances of your life have been, God can rewrite your purpose. He can change the purpose of your life. So this Christmas, allow God to rewrite the purpose of your life. The son who was given to us, the child who was born to us, wants to come to rewrite your understanding of who he is. As your everlasting father, he wants to rewrite your understanding. Whatever that happens to be, whatever level that happens to be, he wants to rewrite your understanding of who he is this Christmas. As your security, as your safe place, as your sanctuary, as that place where you can go and be yourself in your, in your wonder of who you are. You can be yourself with God. Allow him to rewrite that sense of security. And I believe that he wants to rewrite your understanding of who you are. He wants to change your understanding of who you are, that you're not defined by the labels that others have placed on you, but he's come to rewrite the purpose of your life. Can I encourage you to close your eyes just for a second? Roughly 2,016 years ago, a baby called Jesus Christ was born in a stable, laid in a manger. Not just to be a nice story, but to rewrite the story of history and to rewrite the story of your life. That you would not be left in hopelessness, you would not be left walking in darkness, but that you would see a great light. And he came in meekness and obscurity. And he'd grow and teach and demonstrate what it is for God to live on this earth. As it is in heaven. And he would die on a cross. To take away your sins. Take away your wrongs and put you back into relationship with the Father. And if you're realizing today that your understanding of who Jesus is and your understanding of who God the Father is has been wrong, allow God to rewrite that understanding this morning. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond, if you'd like. If you've never experienced Jesus as your Savior, you've never experienced Jesus as the Father, the everlasting father and you'd like to you'd like God to rewrite your understanding of who he is this morning I just want to give you the opportunity and all I'm going to ask you to do is just put up your hand in this moment this is your chance and someone will just come and pray with you and talk to you about what it is to rewrite that understanding of your life But for all of us this Christmas, Father, I pray that you would rewrite our understanding of who you are. 
I pray that we would allow you to reveal new things to us about who you are, what you came to do, that the child who was born to us and the son who was given to us came for us. Jesus, I pray that we have an amazing Christmas, that peace and hope and love will be there for all of us.